The theme for the evening talk is the uh, Dharma of Awareness. A few months ago I was uh, visiting uh, editor of a publishing, uh, working in a publishing house uh, just with regard to uh, a book that I'm working on and she told me that in uh, recent years there has been a considerable uh, growth of uh, interest in the realm of spiritual books and the interesting comment that she made and it's a large uh, publishing house, random house she said that Of all the various books, Christian mysticism, Judaism, New Age, contemporary spirituality, Indian philosophy, Taoism, uh, American uh, Indian, etc., that of the great extensive range of books and wonderful books that are available to us, it seems that the most uh, popular books are the Dharma books, which sell more than others and what the reason that they feel that this is the case and they see this is the case is because of the request and the need by readers for ways and means to apply and practice teachings and what they read it's the wish to find ways and means for things that they read about and experiences that they uh, read about or have felt to actually work in day-to-day life. What is valid, what works, what's effective and what's really helpful in day-to-day life. And we might say in terms of trends, I'm just speaking about the outer Dharma for a moment, in terms of trends, that there is a kind of wish taking place among a growing number of people to be able to touch and explore uh, a middle way between two extremes. One is extremes could be regarded of uh, religion, whatever the religion, Buddhism or uh, otherwise, and the other of consumerism, which has as its high priority uh, producing and consuming and the elevation of the self in doing that. And to find that avenue which moves between the two, so so to speak, and therefore pays all the deepest respects to one's inner life, to the outer, and in that to uncover and discover the liberating truth of things. All of this we might put into the field, into the area of the Dharma uh, of awareness. And obviously, having said that, in the flows and cycles of things, just because for one period of time um, there are certain trends, obviously those trends and currents may uh, change at another time. But no matter what the flow and the trends are, one important feature with regard to the teachings and practices that some things remain unshakable in those trends. 
that one being the necessity in life for that dedication and commitment to an ethic in life which essentially is to treat others as well and as kindly and as decently as one would wish to be treated in all circumstances without exception. That ethic is far more important than the nation-state and all the other things which trigger different views. The importance of meditations and awarenesses and depth of experience, no matter what the practices and what the traditions, religions or contemporary or whatever, that still remains valid. The importance in life of realization and wisdom, again, doesn't matter what the traditions, practices or philosophies, that still stands steady. Right livelihood, uh, uh, compassion and joy. So there are threads and themes which keep steadfast in the Dharma of awareness throughout, regardless of whether or not it's associated with religion or with philosophy or with a tradition or lineage or, or whatever. Some things stand steady from the standpoint of uh, human experience, human interaction, both with ourselves and others. Ethics, depths of awareness and wisdom in, in life. And teachings here try as much as we possibly can to keep faith with that firmly, clearly and unwaveringly. And therefore, as much as possible, what is said in the hall here uh, this evening could be said if uh, this world still continues 1,000 years from now, could be said 1,000 years into the past and certainly much of what was said here was said 2,500 years in the past and before. Why? Because it's related to the fact of human experience, the importance of bringing awareness to existence and from that seeing what insights and realizations can flower and come for us. And therefore that tradition we try to honor and pay respect to, for what purpose? For liberation, for enlightenment. In the Dharma of awareness there are elements too which ordinary and everyday mind can rather forget and neglect. And sometimes in our meditations we begin to get a little bit more direct access to. And sometimes, as was said in uh, inquiry today, it's a greater contact, if not um, intimacy, uh, with ourself. And when we're speaking of ourself, we're actually referring to different features of what makes us up, which we call our self. Self is just a, a shorthand for features and aspects. And therefore one aspect of that, of course, is in relationship to bodily life. And in that, as some of you uh, know pleasurably and painfully, that the contact with bodily life may or may not be as your deepest wish expresses itself. And 
there is the contact one is making direct contact with oneself and it can generate pleasant feelings comfort warmth uh, relaxation harmony feeling of being uh, in touch and a corresponding as it were receptivity from all of uh, the body from head through to uh, toes and one feels in harmony with the physical uh, being and with that uh, sense of harmony energy can flow easily blood can flow uh, easily and there's no uh, stresses pains and tensions in various locations of the body and there are people you might be surprised who are sitting in this hall and who are not fighting their knees not fighting their uh, back have a very comfortable at ease relationship uh, with the body and are in touch uh, with it and one may say well lucky devils and my situation is that the direct contact with it whoever the I is will say oh well there are pain arising and therefore it's not pleasant it's decisively unpleasant uh, if not painful and the uh, end of each sitting period is the uh, peak event of the day <laughs> so the relationship between the pleasant and the unpleasant has its impact and its influence of course on the inner life this is just pleasant and unpleasant sensations coming out of the body for all the reasons that they do in that we say we are saying that let's bring as much as we can direct awareness to the physical life and though the preference the preference might be humanly enough to have a body of bliss or a body of calm or a body of peace and not having to deal with uh, the, the pain things don't occur according to the whims of the self they occur because the conditions are for them to occur in the way that they do if we can just get this little home truth to arrive inside of ourselves things arise because the conditions are there for them to arise they don't necessarily arise because the self wants them to be in a particular way if it happens that what arises and the self are in agreement regard it as a miracle <laughs> as something so extraordinary that the self and the condition of the body have uh, a meeting point which is agreeable but even if it's agreeable born of the pleasant sensation or if it's disagreeable born of the uh, unpleasant sensation still however there's a relationship forming and influencing the state of mind and there is still in that uh, contact from pleasant unpleasant sensations in the body to the impact of the mind a rather everyday conventional sense that this called body belongs to me what is happening is happening to me and it is affecting me not affecting anybody else others are not having going through what i am going through whoever the i is 
and the view, the view, the perception, the feeling, the experience, the confirmation, and every wretched thought keeps on reaffirming this is going on in the body, it's affecting me, and I am either trying to preserve and keep and maintain this lovely ex physical experience that I'm having at this time, or I'm trying to get rid of it, no, not the pleasant one, the unpleasant one, or um, um, hang in like grim death for the end of the sitting. All is pleasant or unpleasant going on, so somewhere in between, impacting on the mind, and the self naturally feels it's happening to me. And they say, well, you can't possibly imagine that one could ever look or regard or think differently. It would be too much to change that dynamic, to shift things in the psyche and in the relationships of the sensations, that that altered itself. But what if we were just to allow a little bit of healthy doubt in there, in terms of the consistent view it's happening to me. And there's less, as we were speaking in the previous talks, a little bit less of the me going on. And what about if you were just changing it and just perceiving a little differently and it's just happening? Whatever, it's just happening. The pleasant sensations, the warmth, the comfort, the good flow, the at ease with the physical life, the pain that's going on with it, the discomfort there, the tightening up and the struggle that's going on with it, and it's just happening. And maybe that's just happening, maybe reduces some of the solidity that goes on with the extra bit to it of to me, to me, to me. Because when we do allow ourselves just to stop for a few moments, what is this me to which we keep referring? Where is the location? What Oh, on earth are we talking about? Who can show their me? So in just having a little doubt about the, the selfness of the self, the me-ness of the me, the I-ness of the I, perhaps there's a little bit more accommodation taking place and that there's kind of bare awareness, which is noticing the pleasant and the unpleasant, or something in between, and it's just going on in the way that it goes on. What if we were to shift again and make another significant shift in the kind of way that we uh, relate? 
And instead of the possessiveness that goes on with the body as it does and troubles ourselves in other areas of life wherever there is possessiveness, instead of seeing this body which comes belongs to me and that ownership of it goes and therefore the fear of loss of it, the fear of being ejected from it or whatever conception that we have, they actually turn the perception around 180 degrees or 360 degrees or whatever it is and say this comes from the nature all this organic life from head through to toes it's born out of the nature it stays because the nature of conditions allow it to stay and it will go back where? back to where it came from back into the nature and that maybe there's a mythology in the constant repetition of this is mine, this belongs to me and maybe it's closer to the truth of things to say this is not mine this is, doesn't belong to me, this is not myself, this is not who I am, this is organic life, it's a bodily life, it comes from the nature, belongs to the nature, rests with the nature and ends with the nature. And to make that unusually and exceptionally and unshakably clear. Otherwise, the whole process of the movement of life in the passage of years will get increasingly more difficult if we keep living in ownership and possession of that which we could not produce, we could not create and we could not make and we have no capacity to do so because it comes because the nature of conditions allow the human existence to come. No God, no other no self, no I, no me it comes and borns out of the nature of the conditions and perhaps we pay great respect to life by acknowledging where all this comes from and a little bit less of the, the self-deception and the arrogance and the conceit of the I which keeps laying claim over that which it does not have in the first place. When we bring awareness to uh, that, <clears throat> sometimes we can hear this and misunderstand misperceive, not, not, not connect with. And we kind of can form a view, opinion can come out, that if we kind of dissolve the I and the me, if we say oh, life belongs to itself, human existence belongs to the nature, belongs to the expansiveness of things, not to I, not to self. That it can appear like some kind of rejection, 
like some kind of uh, cool or cold detachment or separation or alienation or whatever. But actually, if it is understood what's said, that's not possible. The isolation, the separation, the detachment and the out-of-touchness comes with those who claim this, is, this belongs to me. But there's a very separation there already. There is a, a taking for granted already. This is mine, this belongs to me. And then we assume that and then we go on with our terribly speedy or aggressive uh, way of uh, living. We go on doing and doing, get increasingly more out of touch with the reality of things and then the me begins to suffer. Why? Because assumption of mine, separation implied in that and pressure which comes from it. And then eventually the body begins to break down, energy collapse, physical collapse, heart attack collapse, stroke, whatever it might, whatever it might be. And then that starts to demand awareness. Every moment of neglect can bring about ten moments of demanding awareness. The sensations will be so strong, the messages will be so strong, the information will be so strong to us that our life becomes maintenance of the body. We pay the price for separation and alienation. But one still might think, well, if I don't claim the body as mine, if I, if I look and re regard and relate in, and just bring an awareness to it and an intimacy to it, couldn't that just end up as being a rejection? Couldn't that just end up as, well, I'm not motivated to look after the body, it's not mine, just let it go to the pits. One doesn't understand the nature in life of awareness and what awareness means. It's not a cold, detached observation on from some aloof standpoint. That isn't awareness. That's the I in a, in a distant, convenient role with consciousness or separation. Awareness has another totally different sense to it. It has a quality of connection. Which, if there's awareness, there is connection. It has a quality of closeness to intimacy with receptivity to participation with. It brings its own natural care for, support for. That is the very statement of awareness. And when there isn't that separation of this me and what belongs to me, it means the gap between the self and the body begins to drop away that allows the awareness to come 
the full flow into intimacy with physical life. So there's a natural taking care of, a natural support for, a natural ability and capacity to listen well to the messages of the body. Because the me is not acting as a, uh, as a, uh, a diversion. Sometimes, of course, of course, of course, we may say, well, there is awareness and connection with the physical life, there's respect for it in terms of diet and exercise and uh, posture and uh, acknowledgement of organic life and the support for it that awareness will bring naturally. And then one might say, well, perhaps that should save me from ills. Perhaps I shouldn't get disease, I shouldn't get sick, I shouldn't have pain, I shouldn't get cancer, or whatever. And there's a danger of sliding through misunderstanding, in a way, into uh, an idealism. We don't know what the body carries. We don't know. And some do, some of you know very, very well. We don't know what's going on for us in our genetic factors, our hereditary factors or whatever. We don't know what we're absorbing through climate and through pollution and through water and, and many other factors. So though we may be clear, aware, intimate with, respectful for, supportive for, all those factors which bring out the awareness to that. Still, none of that can safeguard any human being from the factors which affect bodily life. But certainly the track record that those who bring greater awareness and respect for this extraordinary instrument called the body will probably, hopefully, lead a healthier and easier life with the body because of awareness. Because of awareness. And if we neglect, then sooner or later that impact upon us does come. Sometimes one looks at to that to the tradition, and certainly the overall track record of the Buddhist tradition in terms of real body awareness borders on the pathetic. Actually, that's a typical English understatement. It is pathetic. And where a kind of detachment from the body, lack of exercise, lack of appropriate uh, diet, lack of real care for uh, the body, a kind of dismissing and undermining the body as some kind of lump of uh, 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 flesh or a piece of meat or whatever has brought, often in the ordained life, a lot of health problems. Why? Lack of awareness. And Buddhism could learn, I would say, in that regard, much more from uh, Hindu brothers and sisters who long since recognize the importance of diet and 
and the yoga and the exercise. And with the loss of Buddhism, of the long walks which the monks and nuns used to do through the jungles and hills of uh, uh, Asia, it has meant a lot more ill health. So when we're looking at ourselves, sometimes the traditions that we may have association and connection with, main and teachers as well for that matter, may not be very inspiring at all. Still requires from us awareness of bodily life and connection with it and understanding it in organic terms. But is it just here being in touch and in contact with physical life, with breathing and with body sensations and having a clearer understanding of organic life as organic life and not as the product of self. But there's something else which also takes place uh, here as, as well and, and that's a reminder to us of how significant the places of silence. And sometimes you and I might have um, reflected a little bit over the uh, over previous uh, generations, and Shard um, and I have been uh, teaching in uh, Bodhgaya in India for uh, a number of years, ten years uh, together. And Harry and two of us were teaching uh, there, the three of us, uh, one year some uh, years ago, and. The, these days, even in Mother India, one hears these wretched loudspeakers and the various religious festivals and the loudspeakers going on morning, uh, um, noon, noon and um, night, um, traffic and records and all of that that goes on. And it's, sometimes it would seem that even in our own lives and our own uh, homes as well, it's like we're doing everything to make sure that we're not in touch with silence. That something has to be going on and that there's a kind of disturbance which can take place inwardly in a lack of exposure to silence. And some people say they hate silence. They can't stand silence. They're they knew that the retreat was going to be in silence, they would never have uh, come, or whatever. So something sometimes about silence can be quite unsettling and disturbing, and we're saying, let's make contact with it. Let's really sense and feel and have access to a palpable silence in life. What is it that the silence reveals which the mind doesn't. What is it that silence reveals that the mind can't reveal? So as we settle into our sitting and walking and into our meditations and relationships to breathing and body and, and listening, all of the settling in, beneficial and for our own well-being and genuine deep interest but it's for a genuinely deeper interest and therefore for some who feel well settled in after two days it's really important to ask oneself what is it 
and actually ask that the silence reveals which my mind can't. And we may not get any response from within ourselves. Nothing may begin to flow from within ourselves. But maybe something can. Sometimes we find in a day or day or two that an issue starts to arise in the mind. And with the issue that arises, the thoughts arise about that issue. There is a noticeable and significant fading away of uh, connection with silence, connection with the breath, connection with the body, connection with the here and now, and we find ourselves somewhat absorbed and lost in a particular issue. And then we say to ourselves with uh, extraordinary conviction that I am thinking about the issue. I've got the issue there, this is my issue, and my thoughts from another part of my mind are popping up and looking at this issue in the other part of my mind which I am now thinking about. And I hope in this thinking about one part of the, from one part of the mind over to the other side, to the other part of the mind, that somehow in that thinking about, I resolve it and I come to an answer. There. And the belief of the self is, that's the reality, and one tries to persuade the teachers as well, <laughs> and anybody else who's can listen, which the here can't, thank God, and, <laughs> and one says, this is how it is. And I've always thought about my issues, and my issues were in one part of me, and my thought was about the other, and that's the way, that really is what's going on. But what I can't make out is, why is it that all my thinking about this issue doesn't do anything but keep me thinking about this issue? <laughs> Until 9.30 at night or 9.15 if one's lucky enough that the teachers are tired and end it early. <laughs> that one goes to bed feeling quite exhausted and then hopefully something else will happen in the night that will end that issue <laughs> and either a new one will start or one will sleepwalk to the morning sitting. So this self, the thinking and the storyline and one to the other, maybe there's some terrible, rather sad, deception. Maybe we can't think about something. That we can't have the thing without the thinking. Maybe it's a bizarre kind of quirk that goes on 
And in the, in the silence, and in the breathing, and in the bodying, and in the, the uh, 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 listening, there's so much which else is going on which we barely have any awareness of. That consciousness only has access to a little bit of the nature of the events. And then, as I say, we find the formation arising thinking about an issue. And we think the thinking is the vehicle for the issue. It's the wood for the fire. It's the wood for it, for the fire. It's the sustaining of it. It's the maintenance of it. It's the support for it. It is it. And somehow or other, this doesn't seem to strike awareness clearly. It's almost as though we can't imagine that maybe the thinking and the it, they are mutually bound up together. One makes the other. One is the other. Sometimes a thought arises. It's no use thinking about this. It's the problem personified. The thought arises, it's no use thinking about this. The thought arises, I shouldn't be thinking about this. That very thought is wood for the fire. Because it's more thought about it. One thought is about getting rid of it, and the other thought is about the thought about getting rid of it. And the whole package just keeps consolidating. And we become prisoners to it. We the self is deluded into thinking the resolution will come through the perpetuation of thinking. And, as I said, the perpetuation of thinking does one thing, and that is consolidate the perpetuation of thinking. Sometimes it does miraculously, miraculously fade away. It might fade away, fade away simply, as I said, because we have no energy left to think about. We've totally worn ourselves out. Sometimes it fades away because our attention gets pulled somewhere else. We put all of our focus into something else. And we literally don't have time to think about it. And then something happens. The energy, the focus, the interest, the, the other priorities in life, they begin to drop away, or we let them go, or whatever it might be. We then come back to the silence, then we come back to the breath, then we come back to the moment, and then what do we come back to? We come back to the thinking about an issue. 
and there's just enough variation in the thinking and the issue to imagine that all of life's problems that one, that one is dealing with are really different from the last one. We really feel that life is full of multiple problems which we are trying to overcome and that we finish one we have, if we're lucky, a little breathing space called lunch <laughs> and then a new one will uh, start and so there's something goes on in the psyche, in the feelings, in the perceptions and in the thinking and in the so-called issues that life is full of varying problems and that some are lucky enough to only have them every now and again others will say life is a problem every day it's one more problem I've got to resolve or whatever and there are so many different problems and this view because of a little variation in a feeling, a perception, an image and a thought gives us a conviction perhaps we get absolutely sure anything in life which we get so sure about apart from one thing we ought to have a little doubt in every time in the awareness to the inner life we use the word big it ought to send up alarm signals one's hair, if one's got any left, should be standing on end with shock at the audacity of a human being who says I've got a really big problem to deal with in my really big issue once we add that to the thinking we are pumping up things inside to nightmare levels who says it's big? who's the one that's so bold that comes up and arises and a thought arises with a perception and a feeling and an idea and, and then it gets put out into this world I've got a really big issue in my life Big? Where? What's big? Show me it. Show me the big, big bit of it. What's this idea? B-I-G. Where? And yet, we believe, we think, we imagine, or whatever it might be. So bringing awareness to contact with physical life, organic life, bringing awareness to silence, may be unexpectedly and perhaps in an uninvited way drawing out 
things from within which have been forgotten, neglected, uh, unresolved, or whatever. And we don't have to refer to past the resolution. We don't have to keep the thinking about issue going. Sometimes it might just be one straightforward question. Does it really matter that much? Does it really matter? Even when we're going into life and death issues, sickness and health and coming and going and change and loss and all the things which we hang on the big with it and all the dramas that we... Is it really, honestly, honestly that important? Anything? Would we, would we be really willing to really stop and look and say to ourselves, all my building up of the issue, building up of the problem and making it big, does it, does it do any good anywhere for anyone, including oneself? About anything at all on this earth. Sometimes, whatever it is, we don't want to admit it. We don't want to challenge the old patterns and the old conditioning which wants to inflate and exaggerate and make a big hoo-ha about or whatever. We don't want to see the emptiness of the self which does that again and again and creates nightmares for one and all. So when we're speaking of bringing awareness and connection and intimacy with. Sometimes it's definitely uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable in the listening, it's uncomfortable in the feeling, it's disturbing in, uh, to the mind and it's intended to be. Why? Because perhaps we can Consciousness can shift itself, come out of its typical moorings and the things which hold down its liberation and hold down its freedom. And sometimes we need to go through, a, as I say, some discomfort and unsettledness and have our self hammered on a bit. So we're not living in this scale of uh, issues and problems and issues and problems and, and the self making such fuss. 
And the wonderful thing with all that is that it is the potential for a human being is to, in one go, see through it all. And the mythology of thinking an issue, thinking an issue, has gone out of the system like a cloud. And things are right and uh, in order and in balance quite easily and naturally just through puncturing one misunderstanding about existence and that is that relationship to thinking an issue. Change that, the whole world's put straight. All in a moment. And it's liberating immediately. And so life Bodily sensations, yes, of course. Silences, yes. Awarenesses and intimacies, yes. Thoughts arising, uh, yes. Feelings flowing, yes. But the confusion and the misperception and the delusion of the self has disappeared out of it. Just from one clear acknowledgement and understanding, as I said, of issue and thinking. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings live with a seeing which is liberating. May all beings understand the nature of things. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes. Shall we?